Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 25. Now, in 1962, a very bold claim was made. A band manager entered the doors of Decca Recording Company, and he sat down in the lobby, and eventually he was called into the executive's office. And after a brief preview of the band's material, the Decca record executive looked at the band manager and said this, we don't like their sound, and the guitar music is on their way out. The Beatles have no future in show business. Now, to this man's defense, um, the Decker Record Company had, had recently just signed the top-selling musician Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Wait, you haven't heard of Brian Poole and the Tremolos? Okay, well, let's take a listen here. Yeah, it's kind of no wonder they never really did anything, but I'm sure you've heard of this other band that comes quickly after this one. It's almost inconceivable in our day and age to think about an executive at a record company turning down what would be one of the greatest music acts in, in history. But that idiot did. <laughs> and the result is the Beatles were signed by somebody else. But by 1962, the Beatles were just another band playing all around Europe, and eventually they made their way to, to America. And of course, we know that famous scene from the Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, by the time we reached 1966, they had a net worth of $2 million, which we think, oh, that's not a whole lot. Today's money, that's roughly around 16 to $17 million they were worth. Paul McCartney's net worth is roughly $1.2 billion. But beyond this obscene net worth, the Beatles are regarded as one of the greatest musical acts in history. The Beatles have no future in show business. Sometimes bold claims just really don't pan out. There's another person in history that over the last couple of weeks we've been examining his statements that he made about himself. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus' claims about himself landed him on the cross, had 10 of his 12 disciples martyred, and the development of the world's largest faith. And in John's Gospel, we call these the I Am Statements. And they give us a glimpse into who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, and, and what his statements about himself mean for those who follow him. And today's text, today's statement is so important, not only as we, as we celebrate Easter, but tell us some of the most important things about Jesus. So let's take a look at the text. John chapter 11, verse 25. Tucker, can we turn me down just a little bit? Thank you. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's put ourselves in the emotional state of the disciples in the hours and days after Jesus' resurrection, or Jesus' torture and execution. How could this have happened? 
What were they going to do next? Where were Jesus' promises now? Where are the miracles now? And early on Sunday morning, some women who had followed Jesus, they make their way to the tomb. And there they're going to prepare his body based on the Jewish burial customs, which was to wrap his body in cloth, to uh, put perfume on it. We know why. And the body was then placed in a tomb, and it was given a year to decompose. And then after a year, uh, families would return to the tomb, and they would collect the bones of their loved one, and they would put it into a container called an ossuary, which was to hold the other bones of family members who had gone before them. But when they arrive at the tomb, the problem is the stone was rolled away. The soldiers were gone. And suddenly two angels appear before them. Why are you surprised? Why are you looking for Jesus? He is not here. He is risen from the dead. So the women hurry away from the tomb and they're filled with joy. They're filled with fear. They go to go tell the disciples. But suddenly the gospels tell us that Jesus met them on the way. Greetings, he said. And at once they said, it fell down at his feet, and Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee, there they will see me. The women are excited and afraid. They, they hurry away to the disciples with this amazing news. And of course, as most guys are, were a bunch of knuckleheads. They didn't believe the women in the first place. Jesus had resurrected. Jesus is alive. Now you've heard me say it before that context matters. So context matters. (laughs) So the context for our scripture this morning is so important where Jesus makes this bold statement, I am the resurrection of life. And the first 24 verses leading up to our text, something very important and unbearable had happened. You see, one of Jesus' most beloved friends, a man named Lazarus, becomes sick and dies. But the curious thing is that Jesus finds out days before he is dying and he could have gone and done something. But instead we find out that Jesus stays exactly where he is and the news comes to them that Lazarus has died. This last week has has been somewhat of a blur for me. Literally, um, I could not get enough oxygen in my brain, I felt like, to actually have some sort of motor function. I told Jennifer on Thursday, I sat down to write the Mosaic Weekly email update, and it took me 40 minutes because I just couldn't fix my eyes on the screen the right way. And all this started on Sunday after worship. I went home uh, and took an afternoon run, and then I came back more exhausted than I felt than usual. And when Monday came around, I just felt zapped of energy. So I came and I laid down and took a nap at lunchtime because I, I, I couldn't concentrate. And by the time Tuesday came around, I felt like someone had pulled the blood out of my body. I was cold, I was achy, I was exhausted. And if you want to call it sleeping on Tuesday night, then a night full of coughing and hacking and achiness is a night full of sleeping that I had on Tuesday night. But the strange thing is, when I went to the doctor on Wednesday, he didn't tell me I had the flu, he didn't tell me I had a strep throat or some bad sinus infection. He looked at me and he said, you've got an upper respiratory issue. Go home, take some Tylenol Mucinex, you'll be just fine. I wanted to jump across the room at him and be like, give me something, sir. But instead, all I could muster up was a, uh-huh, and then I went out of the doctor's office, stumbling through like the walking dead. And for the last week, I have felt like a quarter of my normal self. You see, as we hear this story of Lazarus, it should ring true within us. 
Because we are not our best selves. The Bible uses the language that we're dead. And it sounds really harsh, but Paul writes this in Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed in the patterns of this world and the rulers and the kingdom of this air, the spirit of who is at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them as one at one time, gratifying our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Paul is saying we're like we're walking dead. We're like zombies that are neither dead nor living, and we're living by the impulses of our life. And I know that's not a popular message, but can you resonate with it? It's a feeling of helplessness and frustration and hatred and callousness. You and I in the world that we live in don't know the first thing about living. We fill our lungs polluted with unbelief and exhale and disobedience. We've all done this. We've all felt this way. We've all lived half of ourselves. And I know this sounds really harsh and I know it's not a popular statement, but when we stop and we think about it, we live in a culture of selfishness. A culture always struggling for more power that's resentful and vindictive and full of brokenness. We live in a world full of grudges and hatred and judgment and self-centeredness. We're living in a dying world that cannot be its best self. And we've all experienced this death. We all can relate to Lazarus. Eight years after Decca Records refused to sign the Beatles, the four-man band had reached uh, and recorded 12 studio albums. Just think about that for just a second. In an eight-year span, they had done 12 studio albums that resulted in 20 number one hits, 43 top 20 songs, and 53 top 40 songs. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm still going to put my money on the tremolos, whoever they are and wherever they are in this world. According to Rolling Stone magazine, the Beatles have 12 of the top 20 greatest albums of all time. Anyone want to guess what the greatest album of all time is, according to Rolling Stone? Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah. With Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Lovely Rita, A Day in the Life, just to, to start the list. And the Beatles were big. In fact, John Lennon said the Beatles were big enough that they were bigger than Jesus, which is kind of misquoting him and what he actually said. Yet in six years after their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, the Beatles were officially done. Like, done, done. The Beatles couldn't even get big enough that they couldn't fail. John's bold claim fell flat. You see, overwhelmed with grief, Mary and Martha cannot believe that their brother was dead. They cannot believe that Jesus wouldn't come and help resurrect him from the dead. Yet in their grief and anger, they receive Jesus when he finally comes to their town. Martha makes this statement, But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. You see, her statement is curious. She's both frustrated with Jesus, but yet she believes that Jesus can do something more. And Jesus does three things that change this tragedy in the world forever. The first thing is he makes a bold claim. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. Anyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Martha responds with a statement from Jesus and a question that's a profound statement of faith saying, Yes, Master, this is what I've come to believe, that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one who has come into this world. And the second thing Jesus does is weep. 
The shortest verse in all of Scripture, John 11.35, says Jesus wept. It shows us that Jesus is overwhelmed by the emotion of his friend dying. He's overwhelmed by the emotion that, that Mary and Martha are experiencing in this moment. And the third thing Jesus does is he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. It's like the ultimate mic drop <laughs> in that moment. And Lazarus comes walking out of the tomb. This bold claim, I am the resurrection and the life, all comes into reality. You see, Jesus is the most underestimated person in human history. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to size Jesus up and who he is and the statements he made and the actions that he took. And the implication of Jesus' resurrection is so much bigger than we give it credit to be. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus taught, every miracle that Jesus performed, everything hinged on the resurrection. He is not here, he is alive, is the most important statement in human history. Because if everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did did not come true through the resurrection, then Jesus was just a raving lunatic. And we should have the most pity for believing in him. But yet, by resurrecting from the dead, Jesus sets himself apart from all other people who have ever come before and will ever go afterwards. That through the resurrection, we see God's power coming true in the fact that the Son of God can die on a cross and resurrect three days later. And as we look at this narrative with Lazarus and Martha, Martha is filled with if-only statements. If you only you had been here, if only you had come earlier, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus moves Martha from an if-only to believing in this moment. And the crowd who witnessed this also experienced this. Frederick Buechner wrote, Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. You see, Jesus' resurrection and the life, Jesus brings new life and new purpose to all that we say and do. Bad choices and bad past, grace is given by the Spirit of God imparting within us in this redemption. Bad relationship, Jesus calls us to reconciliation. Hatred and grudges, Jesus calls to live by the power of love. Violence and harmful words, Jesus calls us to mercy and peace. Oppression and discrimination, Jesus calls us to inclusion and justice. The endless spiral of more money and more stuff, Jesus calls us to live by enough and trusting in God's provision. Jesus isn't inviting us into life down the road. Jesus is inviting us into life now. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And by this, we find new and repurposed life through God's immeasurable love and grace, we experience a life that is carried forth into new meaning, into a new course of living each day. We experience life that we once were enslaved by all these passions and impulse and lack of control. But now we find God's spirit living and dwelling in us and calling us to be a people of peace. As N.T. Wright wrote, the point of resurrection in the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. 
What you do with your body in the present matters because God has great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, by singing, by sewing, by praying, by teaching, by building hospitals, by digging wells, by campaigning for justice, by writing poems, by caring for the needy, by loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making present life a little less beastly, a life more bearable until the day we leave altogether. They are part of what we may be calling for in building this kingdom of God. You see, the life Christ brings us through his resurrection is resurrection into new life for us. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the power of God's love that brings dead things to life? Do you believe in the power of God's grace to repurpose your life into something beautiful and peaceful and transformational? Today we celebrate not the death of God, but the resurrection of the Son of God who invites us into resurrection and life. The message, He is not here, He is alive, is an invitation from God. God is inviting you into life. Can you leave behind dead things? Can you leave behind things that need to stay where they are? And can you experience resurrection in your life? As the great Jürgen Moltmann put it, believing in the resurrection does not just mean assenting to a dogma or noting historical facts. It means participating in this creative act of God's resurrection. And not some consoling opium or soothing us with the promises of a better world hereafter. It is the energy for a rebirth for this life. The hope that doesn't point to another world. It is the focus of redemption for this world. Let's pray together.